Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. For what it's worth, I feel I hope Ireland hammered them today because of the way Scotland behaved during the week. Too mouthy. I think too mouthy, but they can't back it up. I think we were brought up on the fact that you work hard and then talk afterwards. Welcome to the second episode of the Scottish Rugby Blog Podcast. I'm Cammy Black and I'm joined by Gav Harper, Brody Smithers, hello, and making his podcast debut, it's our regular Glasgow Warriors correspondent, John Anderson. Hi there. Uh, John, it's your first appearance on the pod, so uh, you get to tell us what club socks you'd wear if you were selected for the Barbarians. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, well, there's, there's two, only two options. Anybody that's seen my bio on the, the blog will know that it's Isle of Butte or Bishopton Rugby. Now, I could have went for Butte, but we're not entirely convinced that when I was playing there we had club socks, so uh, it'll have to be Bishopton Rugby. Um, a great, great club down here in Renfrewshire, um, and spent a lot, lot of good years there, so that that would be my selection. I'm pretty sure somebody at some point's probably gone softest for the Barbarians. Uh, yeah, quite possibly. Um, with Butte, it was a, a case of whatever socks you had available at the time, just turn up and get a game. So, um, always that option. So, to business, Scotland beat Ireland at the weekend in the Six Nations opener. The focus groups for the podcast have said we need to be less miserable and the result might just help. Gavin Brody, you were both at the match and uh, Gav, you've written up the match report for the blog. Was that a famous Scottish victory? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the way we played in the first half was certainly different to how we played you know, for, for a long, long time. It actually kind of took me back to the Argentina game, which I think was their response to the home game in uh, charge. But for me, probably more telling was the, the defence in the second half. The way we kind of held, held Ireland out, albeit you know, we scored twice. But we literally had no ball, so I, I was so impressed. And I think it's, it's going to kind of hopefully push, push them on now to get our minds. And, and Brody, I mean, did Scotland play that well, or did Ireland just play badly? Um, it was the classic game of two halves. Um, Scotland's first half performance was stunning. I mean, it was. There's no two ways about it. Ireland might have been slow out the blocks, whatever it was, but no, Scotland were inventive. There was none of this Connor Murray stuff that had gone on beforehand. All the build-up, if you recall, was all about late tackles on Murray and how much pressure we were going to put on it. No, we got ball, we were inventive, and we scored tries. And and John, um, Scotland were quite dominant in the first half. Ireland were pedestrian. It was almost like uh, role reversal. Ireland looked like Scotland in the first half. But maybe Scotland looked like the old Scotland in the second half, or or is that maybe a bit harsh? Uh, I'd probably say that's a, a little bit harsh. I mean, if you look at the stats overall for the game, that, that that's a game that Ireland should never, never, ever lose. And the fact that Scotland have come away with a victory is, is testament to obviously the defensive work that, that's taken place in that second half. We were never going to get away without um, having some sort of um, response from Ireland in that second period. 
Um, and, you know, credit to the boys for obviously getting there and they end up. And, Gav, can Scotland maintain that ferocity in defence uh, for the whole tournament? Because, I mean, it broke Hamish Watson. He had to come off after 60 minutes. Is it is it realistic to expect that intensity every game? I think for me, the time of the day, the subs that we talked about, probably Watson, um, was, was crucial because he made changes at, at right times and wasn't afraid to bring guys off. You know, obviously, obviously George Strauss was struggling. Um, so with only Swinnow on the bench, he, he made the change and kind of readjusted the back row, which is huge testament for him. But, um, yeah, I think going forward, it is obviously going to be a huge challenge. But with a squad with enough depth there that he can continue that on, I think, for the rest of the championship, hopefully, anyway. And it was good, Brody, it was good to see Scotland close out a game. Um, we've talked about Greg Laidlaw's game management, I think, last week on the podcast and also on the blog we've talked about it quite a lot. Does that justify his his going ahead of Ali Price? Absolutely. I mean, um, Greg, as his actual name is, I don't know where this sort of um, Greg business started, but it seems to be universal now. It's absolutely excellent as you say in the, in the game management thing but his service was sharp on Saturday and, and that was kind of um, you know maybe a different sort of impetus from a coaching point of view and it certainly caught Ireland on the hop but myself and Gav were talking on the on the way back from the game and we were saying you know if you were an impartial observer and you didn't know anything about rugby in Northern Hemisphere you know I don't know someone like Stuart Barnes let's say for example and you watched that game and you were asked to say which one of those two nines was the favourite for the Lions scrum half bar, it would be Laidlaw, because Conor Murray wasn't at the races compared to him. And John, those passes that Laidlaw was throwing, I mean, everything just looked a lot flatter, a lot a lot quicker. Is that the the Greek Laidlaw that, that we've all hoped and prayed would, would turn up? Oh, I think so. I think absolutely, yes. We've, we've all been saying many prayers for that, haven't we? Um, I totally, totally echo the points that have been made previously. The, the ball just seemed, seemed to be, particularly in the first half, the ball was flying into, into the backs and, and Greg just seemed so much sharper. Um, we've, we've only seen him do that a few times in a Scotland shirt and it's usually coincided with very big victories for us. The, the one I'm particularly thinking of was Argentina a few years back in the, the, the Autumn Internationals where he was absolutely on fire. But yeah, I mean, obviously, again, second half, um, it was it was never going to be the same game. But yeah, his performance in the first half, I've, I've got him noted down as a, a possible candidate for the Lions based purely on his game management yesterday. We'll we'll come to the I mean we'll come to the legally mandated lines chat later on in the show so we can have a bit more of a discussion about how realistic that is. But should Scotland have gone for the bonus point? Uh, no. My view on it was absolutely absolutely not absolutely not. I think the the common consensus is that the management of that last last few minutes of the game um, was was absolutely excellent and. We had the opportunity to win a game. We don't we don't win that many games so far and we certainly don't win in the opening day of the Six Nations. So yeah, take take the points, take the win and let's move on. I'm just um struggling to cope in the face of this optimism and cheeriness that I'm so unused to after last last time round. <laughs> I mean but, but Brody, I mean can we be harsh on Scotland for being three tries to the good in the first half and not getting a bonus point? Um we certainly can be but I don't think we should be. I think we were 
in many respects, quite lucky. If you recall, Ireland had a disallowed try, and then Sean Maitland made a try-saving, a game-saving tackle, and we were under extraordinary pressure for a long time. Barkley put in a huge turnover um, on about 60 minutes, which seemed to sort of like take the wind out of the Irish sails, but... Let's not get this wrong. We were under the cosh, and we've all been in many, many Scotland um, stadiums where we've not got the luck of a draw on on those sort of tight games. And you know, I'm just absolutely delighted to have got a win there, where previously we'd have been sat here going, "But we were so close. Maybe we should have. Maybe we should have." You know, and actually this time, no, we've won it. So a bonus point is exactly what it is—a bonus, but a win. Is massive. I think this is a huge win for Scottish rugby. You know, I, I struggle to think of a more important win in the past five years than this one. First day of the, um, you know, the Six Nations against the favourites. We did well there. And would it be the most Scottish thing ever if Scotland were to go on, win the next games against France, Wales, and England, um, and then lose spectacularly in the final weekend against Italy? And Brody, you did the player ratings, um, so we can maybe if we just sort of talk through it. We'll, we can go through uh, that. You have given you started with Alan Dell. You've given him six point five out of ten. Um, I mean, he's, it, the scrum struggled early on, but. It, it seemed to settle down later on. Do, I mean, do you, is there anything we can accredit that to? I don't know. I mean, a few commenters on the site are saying, you know, you should have gone, should have been harsher on Dell, or a few people are saying, well, actually, he did okay. I think okay is probably the term that that best fits it. He was he was okay. You know, I didn't see a lot from him in the loose. He slipped off a few tackles, but that said. You know, the scrum did improve, and it looked like it was going to be an absolute car crash in the first 10 minutes. Um, you know, the, the lifting in the line-out was, was pretty sharp. Um, it was okay, without being eye-catching, I think. But, I mean, it looked to me, watching on the television, I don't know if you guys were getting the same angles in the ground, and I, and I don't know if, if you noticed this, John, but the two Irish props, when they were setting, did seem to both be coming in at the angle, which didn't really seem to be getting picked up much. I mean, is, is that um, something that the likes of Dell and Ferguson are going to have to get streetwise to, do you think, John? Yeah, absolutely. Um, as, as you rightly say, that, that did come through on the television coverage, and uh, that's going to be something that our young props are going to have to have to get wise to very quickly. Um, the Irish, in particular, are obviously very good at that. Their, their props aren't, aren't the oldest, let's be fair, but they have got a lot of rugby behind them. Um, and as you said earlier, Brody, it, it could have been a car crash quite early on by, by the look of it. So glad it stabilised. Um, how much of that was to do with Gordon Reid coming on later on? I don't know. But yeah, we've got we've got a bit of work to do there. We know that. And Gav, uh, Brody's given Fraser Brown 5 out of 10. I mean, he was replaced on 27 minutes. He came off early for the blood injury. I mean, is he likely to start, do you think, against France? Or are we going to see Ford back in the front row? On the, the scrum issue, Ford has to start against against the French. They have got a massive front row. I think the tight end, a total of 25 stone. Um, and obviously the, the size of it and everything, but when Ford came on a bit of scrum, a bit better, and uh, Brody and I were talking yesterday, 
during the game, Ford highlighted to me like what about the Irish popular angles and stuff. And I just feel that his experience is so vital in the middle of that scrum, particularly if we're going to go again with, with Dell and, and Peterson. And it was a decent performance, Brody, for Ross Ford. I mean, I know he's, he's got his critics. I know uh, certainly some people have questioned, and I know I've been one of them questioned over the time, quite what it is that he contributes. But but he seemed to be almost almost back to where we'd want to see him. Uh, yeah, I mean, forty's forty, isn't he? You know, I mean, he's he's never going to do anything absolutely dynamic or amazing. But at his best, he's big and he's experienced and he's solid. And, you know, that's what he kind of brought to the table on Saturday. Um, you know, the Irish props turning in, what would Dicko or, or Nell have done in that situation? Maybe drop the scrum the first time? Because if you remember, that first scrum was a bit of an epic. It went on probably 30 seconds, 40 seconds, something like that. It was a big scrum. You know, and I'm not sure Fraser Brown kind of recovered from that. We hear today it was an eye contusion that actually brought him off for it, but he wasn't kind of right. You know, he was falling off the tackles. He just seemed a bit sort of um, dazed. And um, myself and Gav are actually saying we wondered if it was a head knock that he was suffering from. You know, he went off, he came back on. Again, he wasn't kind of right. And then that was it sort of thing. So I'm not writing him off, but it wasn't a great performance. And then the other side of the scrum, uh, Brody, you've given Xander Ferguson 7.5 out of 10. I mean, for one so young, it's, it's I think it, it was quite astounding, I think, if you allow for his age, the performance that he put in. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, he he did well. Without without being part of a, a strong scrummaging um, unit, because our scrum was under pressure, there's no two ways about it. Um, and he did he did very well. Um, and I was impressed with him on Saturday. I thought he was he was good. And and John in the second row, um, Brody's given both Richie and Johnny Gray eight out of ten, and we'll, we'll maybe come on to Stat Boy in a minute. But <laughs> I I thought perhaps Richie maybe edged that. I might have gone eight point five for Richie and, and eight for Johnny in that game. I don't know what you thought. Your thoughts were. Uh, I would have to agree with you there. I thought Richie Gray was absolutely outstanding yesterday. The what we've seen from Richie and. He, he, he really has upped his game since he's been playing internationally alongside uh, Johnny, is that dynamic ball carrying that we've been desperate for him to do for years. Um, I, thought he, I thought he had a brilliant game, absolutely brilliant game, really impressed. Although Johnny Gray wasn't he, wasn't he half bad either. And, and, and shockingly, Brody, uh, two tackles missed from Stat Boy. Yeah, I mean, I myself was just horrified. <laughs> you know, the level of sheer laziness from that boy. Imagine dropping your 100% record in the opening weekend of the Six Nations. I'm just, I'm lost for words. It's disgraceful. But but maybe, Gav, by his standards, that wasn't, by Johnny Gray's standards, that maybe wasn't a, a, a great performance? I think that's probably fair. It wasn't at his absolute best. He's done a did not shame him a little bit. But, you know, they were, they were both superb. Um, and I think the Johnny certainly for me is almost a stick on for the for the Lions. No one talking about that later, but and um, he was just I thought I thought that Chief Brown is you know John was talking about his carry and he looked after about sixty minutes he looked done the race was run the engine on Johnny Gray always just to impress his 
and in terms of the back row, uh, Brody's gone. Ryan Wilson seven point five, maybe maybe a bit bit of a, a quiet first half. Uh, Hamish Watson eight out of ten, but came off on uh, forty eight minutes. Um, for Barkley, who again Brody you said were outstanding. Then Josh Strauss eight out of ten again. So a good performance for the back row but they, they maybe struggled a little bit against uh, CJ Stander who I thought was probably the standout player for Ireland throughout the 80 minutes I mean um, it, is there more to come from that back row Brody? I think there probably is I mean as you rightly pointed out Stander had an excellent game um, but you've got to remember there was also Hugh in there and O'Brien I mean that's not a shabby back row and you know Ryan Wilson yes he was quiet um but he still made all his tackles. He still was, you know, doing his job. And Hamish Watson, as we saw, was excellent. But the one who really caught my eye was Josh Strauss. And I thought he was um, really, really up for that game and seemed to carry excellently, made some big hits. He gave away a couple of penalties, but all in all, I think his performance was excellent. And Barkley, when he came on, was really impressive. And, and John, is, would you stick with that back row for France, or if Hardy's fit, would you see him maybe coming back in? Um, actually, I would probably go with Barkley personally, uh, as I, as you guys have said, I, Barkley was outstanding when he came on, um, and based on the way I've, I've had a wee look at how France uh, have played, and I think there's a real opportunity for us to to use uh, Barkley. I would keep Watson in there as well, and Wilson. Uh, and, and really use a really dynamic back row. Really harsh on Josh Strauss, who I agree was brilliant yesterday, carried really hard, and he did. He looked well up for it. Uh, but I think, I mean, it shows the depth that we've now got in our back row that we can maybe think about actually this horses for courses sort of style. Um, I, I think Barkley would be really good against the French. Is Josh Strauss still growing that beard? He is, yes. Uh, Josh, Josh is uh, is. is Going hard on the beard. I'm going to try and get a wee selfie with him next time I see him uh, to to try and see. I'm I'm now in the midst of a full year of beard growth as well. So, well, um, his just seems to be. It seems to have reached saturation point. It doesn't seem to be getting any longer or bigger. It's just sort of it's plateauing. <laughs> yeah, it's an incredible effort. He's a he's a he's a very beardy man. Is, is is there an element of Samson to Josh Strauss? I mean, does he play better when he's got a beard? He did seem to lose it a bit when he when he shaved it a, a few years back, didn't he? It seemed to be a wee bit off the boil. Maybe, maybe that's maybe that's the key. We'll, I'll I'll say to him, we'll make sure he keeps it. We don't want to risk it. If he's thinking, it, has maybe, anyone suggested a beard to Ross Ford? Possibly. Maybe we should maybe we should just start sending in beard oil to them. See if it catches yeah, on. I think you know. I don't think that would be you know overkill or anything. Not weird at all, guys. Not weird at all. <laughs> And, and 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 next we'd come to Greek. I, mean, I, I don't know. If there's anything more we can add to what we've already said about Greek. I mean, it was a captain's performance. His, his game management is is certainly up there, and we're now maybe talking about him as a contender for the Lions. Although we'll get onto that later on. And is is there anything else we can say about him that we haven't already said? <laughs> Absolutely not. No, he was outstanding yesterday. And and Finn Russell. I mean, I would say that we noticeably um Scotland struggled when Duncan Weir came on and I mean I I don't know what business Duncan Weir has trying to defend at the side of a ruck inches from the line because that Ian Henderson try I think was down to Duncan Weir being the the only body in the way I mean Brody was that do you think that's a that's a communication issue in the Scotland defence or uh, Duncan Weir maybe being where he shouldn't 
possibly, um, you know, Ian Henderson, Duncan Weir is not a, a kind of a, a fair matchup, really, is it? But, you know, if that's international rugby. Um, would Finn Russell have made that tackle, in, in your opinion, Cam? Do you think he would have done a better job I, there? I don't think Finn Russell would have been there at that point in the defensive line. I'm not sure. He, he may have been, but from what I saw, it just seemed to be... Um, a, a bit of a mismatch, and I'm not sure whether Finn might have been maybe further out from where Ireland were attacking. And in terms of Finn Russell himself, I mean, you know, there's always this talk about him being mercurial, um, and certainly in that game we saw maybe the best and the worst of Finn Russell's game. C- can we see a point, John, where Finn Russell is consistent in his um, insanity? <laughs> uh, consistent would be good. Um... I, I, the way I always always talk about Finn Russell, the day Finn Russell stops making mistakes is probably the day we would need to drop him because that will mean he's stopped trying things. We've for so many years had, uh, by by the numbers, tens that have had nothing going on outside them. They've never managed to spark a backline. And Finn Russell, it, Mercurio is the, the right word for him. Um, insanity, yeah, probably as well. Um, so... But he will, he will get more consistent. I think we've already noted that his his game management is improving, particularly at Glasgow. And I think yesterday he managed he managed the game very well with the mistakes that he also made. There was a point in the build-up to the first try when Hamish Watson went for the line and was isolated. Finn Russell went in and you know helped support him on the deck. And he was, he was under a lot of pressure, and the ball came back. There was another phase. He was back on his feet. He threw that pass, and we scored a try. For me, the most important thing he did there was that support of Watson because he kept us the ball. You know, there's not a lot of tens that would go and stick their head in that sort of position, and fair play to him. But then, end of the first half, he threw one of those mad sort of loopy flat passes, if that makes sense, and it got intercepted, and... Um, Seymour had to run back and, and, and catch it. So you're absolutely right, Cam. For everything he does that's mercurial, there's a kind of um, face slap moment as well, isn't there? I mean, is that something he doesn't get? we don't give Finn Russell enough credit for easy defence? Physicality is outstanding. He is absolutely brilliant in defence. Um, I think when he first came into the Glasgow team, he started at 12. And he's, he's quite a small small lad and you're thinking you know you're maybe going to struggle there um, he, he tackles probably I would probably argue he's probably one of the biggest hitting tens since Johnny Wilkinson um, and whoa 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 I know I'm throwing it out there guys whoa whoa wait a minute what about Dan Parks <laughs> yeah that one tackle Parks made that one time I don't remember that <laughs> So, so are we now saying that after after Phil Godman, we've now got our our next world class number ten? Oh, that's a that's a, a, a big statement to make. Um, I, I think I think the evidence is there. I think um, Finn Russell has all the potential to go very very far in the game. The the fact he's got many suitors across Europe now looking at him as as being part of their side suggests these you know these guys know rugby relatively well you would hope um, and uh, the evidence is there he's playing well and, and then if we move to the centre we've got um, Alex Dunbar with um, probably more line out wins than some of the forwards um, and then Hugh Johnson maybe had a quieter game um, it, it, 
would we expect to see that same pairing going into uh, France, Brody? Yes, I think so. Um, Jones, as you pointed out, was was quiet, maybe a bit uh, gun shy. hadn't had enough games since his injury. But I mean, Dunbar's defensive work was amazing. I was so happy when he scored that try because he gets so much plaudits for his um, defensive effort that you know it was really nice to see him score. Um, Jones will improve. He'll find his feet again, and hopefully we'll see some attacking intent from him. And and John, would you agree with that? Is that the pairing that we'll be looking at going into Paris next weekend? I think so. Yes. Um... I think it's really important for us to, to start building combinations in the team um, where we can. And I think centre, obviously, we've got, again, an embarrassment of riches for for, for one of the, probably the first time ever in Scottish rugby. Um, Hugh Jones, I think what we didn't really take note of yesterday was I think Ireland had done their homework on him um, in, in the short time he's, he's played for Scotland. And I think they gave him a lot of respect yesterday, which had opened up the prime example being that second try for Hoggy. It opened up a lot of space um, for, for the other players in the backs to, to, to exploit. And then looking at the back three, I mean, we'll come on to Hoggy maybe last, but it, it seemed to me, and again, Brody and Gav, you were at the game, you might have noticed this more, that um, Alan was sticking a lot down Maitland's channel, maybe aware of uh, Tommy Seymour's aerial abilities. Do you, do you think that's that, that was an area they were targeting, Brody? Um I do, yeah. Um, I think, you know, there, again, there's been some comments about the score I gave Maitland, largely because I think it was skewed by that huge tackle he put in at the end. I don't mean it was a huge tackle, but it was hugely important tackle. But, you know, watching the game back, his first half's not great. He's quiet, he's off the pace, he slips a few tackles, he's maybe not quite there. He's, you know, he's got a support run for Hogs try, but he was under a bit of pressure and he wasn't sort of coming up trumps with that. That said, he saved us the game. No two ways. And, and John, I thought Maitland looked quite tired by the end of the game, and it, it was maybe a surprise that that he, um, well, maybe down to Jones not having the game time, but maybe perhaps that um, he didn't come off. Yeah, I mean, I I did note that as well. He did seem like he seemed he seemed spent. Um, which was surprising. I mean, obviously the defensive effort that was going in, um, you know, the coaches will always argue it will take more out of you making tackles than running with the ball in hand, and that's what we spent our second half doing. So how much of that comes comes down to that? But I was surprised to see there was a few a few of the boys throughout the side were starting to blow a bit, a bit heavy towards the end. And, and Brody, I'm just interested, what did Stuart Hogg lose half a point on for you? Because you've given him 9.5 out of 10. So what was it that docked him the 0.5 points? No one gets no one gets a 10, surely. No one gets a 10. I mean, he was an absolute god warrior on Saturday. I mean, he, he ran the show. But, I don't know. No one gets a 10, right? <laughs> no one gets a 10. So that's, that's the only basis on which he docked him half a point. I think if you're going to give a 10 out of 10, it has to be, you know, I don't know. It has to be that, that one guy. of the all-time best... You know, it has to be it has to be Dan Part. <laughs> I was going to argue Dan Carter two thousand five Lions game, but yeah, I think it's that kind of level for a ten out of ten. But you know, nine and a half from a quote unquote miserable like me is is praise indeed. Yeah. Comment of the week. 
Okay guys, it's comment of the week. Um, the only way to be eligible is to leave a comment on the blog, www.scottishrugbyblog.co.uk. Um, my choice, if you follow the blog, um, should be pretty obvious. It's Duncan Arthur um, commenting on uh, our po very first episode podcast post, uh, who says the guy who picks the forwards is a miserable s in the podcast, which is going to give that's going to give me extra work now because we're we're uh, we're, we're non-explicit on iTunes, so I'm going to have to go back and bleep that out now. But um, is that fair? Do you think, John? That that is comment of the week or the miserable. Both. <laughs> um, I I didn't think it was that miserable, but um, what what whatever the uh, the crowd want, they will they will get, I suppose. So, but uh, but yeah, good choice of comment. I think it's uh, definitely the one that stood out from the first uh, pod. And, and Brody did that sting, or is that just down to um, you know years and years and years of following Scotland? No, absolutely, yeah, 100% correct. Um, there was one left on the iTunes um, site, which I thought was even better. Sorry, uh, Duncan Arthur, but the guy on iTunes uh, said that I was a horrible mix of m misery and arrogance, which I thought was slightly uh, slightly better in terms of being caustic. But yeah, no, absolutely, my comment of the week as well. I think it's um, I think it's great. Any feedback's great. Um, you know, one of my guilty pleasures in life is uh, is WWE wrestling. And as they call it there, if you can get a pop from the crowd either way, it's a good thing. So, you know, glad to glad to be uh, equally loathed or, or um, for people to enjoy what I do. Just a reminder, though, that, that iTunes comments are not eligible for comment of the week because we've got to, you know, we need to have rules and, and standards. John, I mean, you, you said that was one of your comments of the week. Did you pick anything else from that? Uh, yeah, yeah, I've got, um, as you no doubt no doubt are aware, I'm a bit of a stats man, so uh, my best comment goes to Sean um, on the match report, who commented that um, about uh, he was talking about Alex Dunbar, and uh, oddly his stats say he missed five tackles. It shows you the difference between stats and perception. Um, so I, I think that's a really interesting point, and um, as a man who de deals with stats all the time, um, it can be quite... Uh, Quite interesting when you you take the uh, the perception out of a, a performance, but uh, yeah, that's my my pick for comment of the week. Can anybody remember what Scott Johnson said about statistics and bikinis? Was that no. not Ebby Scodeval uh, up at Aberdeen who said statistics are like mini skirts? They um, hide the main bits, or, or they, they they show you enough but hide the main bits. Something around was, that yeah, line, wasn't possibly. It? I thought it was Scott Johnson, but but I wouldn't be surprised surprised if he'd nicked it. And Brody, apart from um, your own personal uh, feedback that you got on the blog, were there any comments that stood out for you? Not, um, no, not in particular, no. So do people need to try harder to get your attention? Yeah, more abuse, please. <laughs> gonna have a competition, yeah, we're gonna have, we're gonna have a competition, so listen now, time for a competition, here comes the details, listen and enter on the once again, the Scottish Rugby blog has teamed up with Dove Men Care to offer you the chance to win two tickets for Scotland vs Wales at BT Murrayfield on Saturday the 25th of February. To win, all you need to do is answer the question, who did Stuart Hogg replace when he came off the bench for his debut against Wales in 2012? Was it 1. Rory Lamont, 2. Max Evans, or 3. Sean Lamont? Then send us the answer along with your contact details. 
Head over to the site at www.scottishrugbyblog.co.uk where you'll find all the terms and conditions and details of how to send your entry to us. Good luck! So we're looking ahead to France. We've already talked about um, the team um, going through the names and it doesn't sound like we'd maybe change much. Possibly Ross Ford coming in for uh, Fraser Brown. But um, John, what do you think Scotland are going to have to do to beat France? Because it was a it was a, a difficult performance for France against England, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, the notes I've made on France, the far, very first line just states, France should have won that game. The England had 79% tackle success. Um, France made 586 metres of the ball in hand. The thing that's absolutely killed France uh, yesterday was they've conceded 10 turnovers and they've given away 13 penalties. We... We saw it against Racing with Glasgow. The, if we play a loose, fast game, get the ball moving, these sides are going to tire and they're going to concede ball. Um, and that's exactly what France done last night. So, hence my suggestion of putting Barkley in to try and, again, just create a bit of havoc at the, uh, at the breakdown. But um, if France play like they did, it's going, to, it's going to be a close game. But, again, I think indiscipline might be the key. And, and Brody, would you agree? Is the those you know, those number of turnovers is that an open goal for Scotland? Uh, not so much the turnovers, but I think John's nailed it on the discipline front. Um, you know, our discipline on Saturday was particularly good, given the amount of pressure we were under. We'll be under similar pressure uh, in um, Paris, and the way we're playing, I think there's a confidence there. I mean, you know, the, the Scottish defence looked composed. Um, you know, all this talk of high tackles and yellow cards and stuff, didn't, there wasn't a lot of that going on, you know. Um, the referee management was good. I just, I, I think, yeah, I, I'm quite quietly optimistic about that. I think John's also right about the, um, you know, the pack in particular, the French pack, will tire. Um, you know, they're not kind of used to playing full 80 minutes for their clubs. And, yeah, no, I, th- I think we're, um, if, we, if we're sensible... And we're still in it with uh, 20 to go. Then you know, it's it's there for the taking. It's the Scottish Rugby Blog Fantasy Six Nations League. So, guys, uh, you can find details of how to join our Super Brew Fantasy League on the website. Um, the We're recording this on Sunday, and the Super Brew has updated to the points, but hasn't really updated on rankings. But I'm on a measly 150. Gav, you're leading the contributors for the blog, I think. You're on 164. Um, Brody, you're way down on 130. But um, did you bother to change your team beforehand? I didn't, no. Um but to be fair, I probably would have taken Slimani out, who was amongst my best scorers at the weekend. So, you know, I'm, uh, yeah. Yeah, well, no excuses, really. I, I was let down badly by Hugh Jones, who only scored four points, and Finn Russell on 2.5. And also, I didn't bother to take Favaro out either. Grieg only got three points for me. What's all that about? Hang on. Grieg got three points for you. He got more than that for me, but I don't understand how. Well, it's telling me he got three points. He only got three Maybe he just doesn't like me. I don't know. And, and Gav, what's what's the secret to success? Pass. Pick your team out as early as possible, and then you can forget about it, because, to be honest, I can't even remember who's in my, my 15. Um, I'm just having a look at it just now. I think I'd be a bit let down with Dan Bigger, but, um, yeah, pick, pick Hog and 
despicable because you know both unbelievable at the weekend. So who knows? Just what are the draw, I think. Well, Brody, uh, Greg Laidlaw's Greek scored 15 points for me, so he maybe uh, maybe he's just taken against you. Ugh, I can't blame him. I am miserable and arrogant. <laughs> it's the legally mandated lions chat. The legally mandated lions chat. We've heard so much about it that it makes us sick, but we've still got a chat about who Gatlin's gonna pay. Right, lads, I'm going to keep punching you in the face all the way through the Six Nations with the relentless and never-ending legally mandated Lions chat. Um, we, we talked earlier, I mean, maybe it's a good week to talk about this, I don't know. Um, it, certainly after the game, there was talk that um, if you were to look across, and maybe even um, later, uh, after the Wales game today, if you were to look across the home nation, maybe there were more Scotsmen putting their hands up for Lions selection than anyone else. I mean, is that fair, Gav, or have we just been overly optimistic? I think it's more of a case that nobody else stood out. And England struggled, and I think the, the Fogey experiment and the back row probably didn't work. Ireland took probably 45 minutes to start playing against us. Wales this afternoon were lackluster, and I just feel I think we were more inventive, which is probably where more chat about Scottish players in the, the Lions come to sport. I mean, are we being realistic? Brody, um, to uh, on the basis of one game to see the likes of Grieg now in contention for the Lions. Oh, I think he is in contention for the Lions, absolutely. But I want to talk about Warren Gatland. He was a few rows in front of me and, and Gav on, on Saturday, and I think he's lost some weight. And he's got quite a sort of tan now, and he's sporting a goatee beard. Um, and I'm wondering if he's having a midlife crisis. I wanted to go down and put my arm around him. I was concerned. Did he have the touch of the Paul Hollywoods about him? More than a touch of Paul Hollywood about him. Was there um, a leather almost Swiss Tony? It was kind of, you know, it was it was worrying. Leather jacket? I think so. Underneath his official lion's garb, of course, and I'm pretty sure he rocked up on a Harley. But I mean, you know, it, it, it is maybe a worry, and and maybe that's why uh, the weight's dropping off him. That there's uh, he's chosen an attack coach who uh, seems incapable of. of Coaching a team to attack, have is there a case to say that um, he's chosen his coaches too early, John? Oh, I think he's chosen what was available to him, wasn't he? After being uh, turned or um, insulted by uh, by Gregor and uh, and O'Halloran, um, I think there was there was never any doubt he was always going to go with Rob Powley. But um, yeah, I mean, should, we should be really quite concerned. Wales were. Wales were dreadful today. They were absolutely dreadful. And going forward, they, they've got some superb attacking players and they looked amateur with, with the ball in hand. It was, it was dreadful to watch. Um, I think, I think North had a really strong game. Um, again, ball in hand, but he was, he was put into some decent positions, um, but by, by his centres, but there was, there was nothing creative there. Um, when you compare it to what we'd seen, particularly from Scotland uh, the day before. Um, I, I would be very, very disappointed if when the inevitable happens and the 14 Welshmen are picked for the, the Lions team, uh, I'll, be, I'll, be, I'll be disappointed in, in our midlife crisis, Scotland. So, it, I mean, is, is there much hope then for the Lions if, if we're pinning all our hopes on Scottish players? Cam, that question... Yeah? Let me just... <laughs> round it a sec... Is there hope for the Lions if we're pinning our hopes on Scottish players? Yeah. Right. So you're asking me 
if we are hoping that there'll be lots of Scottish players in, that'll be helpful no, for Lions. What, what I'm saying is, are, are the Lions because all we've got is Scottish players in contention after the first week? No, absolutely not. Um, I think, you know, Scotland, certainly with people talking about it being an upset on Saturday, and I, when I talk about people, I talk about the general media. Um, I think it's... No, I, I think, you know, you, you look at our, our scrum, certainly take away maybe the, the front three, um, we've got good players in there, world-class players. Um, Statboy and his brother, are, you know, they, they graced many a team across the world. Um, Grieg's playing well. Yeah, no, I, I think I'm, I'm optimistic. John, are you optimistic? You know, is it worth worth some, a non-Sky subscriber like myself buying a day pass to watch the Lions? Absolutely not. I'm not optimistic at all. Uh, I think I think we're heading down there for a three-nil drubbing, to be honest, in the test matches. Um, I don't even think New Zealand are as good as they have been, but I still think um, with with Gatland in charge, I think the the style of rugby we'll be playing will be absolutely destroyed by the All Blacks. And yeah, I think it's not going to be a 2005, but I think it's going to be not far off. I love the 2005 tour. I think it was brilliant. I was saying to Gav on Saturday, there was more tracksuits on that tour than there was in a Sports Direct. Um, <laughs> I love that photo of Alistair Campbell. Just, why are you there? <laughs> it's brilliant. <laughs> I mean, there, was, there was a squad of 50 or something, and then there was all yeah, the other people. I mean, the, oh man, honestly, the, the kit guy must have been doing his nut. There must have been like 100 kits handed out. It was brilliant. Is it worth, is it worth Gatland picking up the phone to Sean Spicer, maybe, just in uh, try and put forward a, a positive spin on some of the results that are coming our way? <laughs> I could, could do worse. Could do worse. I think it'll probably be a smaller squad than 2005, uh, purely because you'll see. Well, I reckon it'll be smaller to start with because uh, you'll see. Obviously, Scotland are on tour nearby. Um, I don't. I don't know off the top of my head where England and, and Ireland are, but the te- teams are out on tour, and obviously you saw it with the last tour. Uh, players are, were pulled off of. Their, their national tours to head over to Australia last minute. Uh, even Shane Williams came over because of the well, press was, duties. Well, <laughs> you know? oh, I think England and Wales are both, well, England are touring Australia and Wales are in the Pacific Islands as well. Um, so it looks like it's coordinated for everyone to be there and thereabouts. I don't know where Ireland are. Japan, by the looks of it. Again, still, still in the right area. That if they had to make a call last minute, it wouldn't, wouldn't be the worst. Because everybody will be on the same time zone, which would be the, the issue, obviously, for, for that sort of tour. Dan Clark, <laughs> The only thing Gatland's really going to be worried about is where are Wales, let's be honest. And, you know, the Pacific Islands, fine, perfect. Um, and maybe we'll talk about some of the other games this weekend. I mean, that was a good uh, performance and a good result for Scotland women's. Ga- Gav, were you at the match? I was, yeah. I was actually really, really gutted for them Little performance, the improvement of performance, I think over the last year or two has been massive, but we're obviously gutted to lose in the, the last minute. And I know this is, you know, it's probably symptomatic of problems in the wider world that we've got four guys sat around talking about women's issues. But um, it certainly looked like there'd been progress there. I mean, I, I don't know if anybody's got any knowledge of this, but are the SRU heading in the right direction with the way they're investing in women's rugby? Did I did I see the correct start that they haven't won a point in the Six Nations six or seven years? They the last they last won a game in the first round in 2010. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's clear there's 
women's clubs cropping up everywhere now, um, and, and it's obviously brilliant to see. And we've obviously got a professional women's player now as well, which again, fantastic progress. I just think there's so much more investment needed to get up to the level that the other Six Nations sides, with probably with the exception of Italy. Uh, the the investment those sides have made in their women's game is is astronomical and probably if we're being realistic is way out with the out, out with being a, a sensible investment for the SRU at this point in time just due to the interest in the game and and the game after like you said it's hard to tell how many people were there for the move to support the women's team how many there for the twenties maybe how many there to support both. But that was a narrow loss uh, to the under twenties, and again, the under twenties seem to be getting. Definitely, I think um, you know the twenties has brought us money that I talked at money team about the Hamish Watson and Duncan Weir have come from the the twenties. It feels like Duncan Weir has been playing for for years, and Mitch has probably just broken through that that Scotland squad. But I think now there's a, a real push of the, the guys that are involved in that twenty setup. Um, Callum Hunter Hill, who's this year's captain, and has been at London Scottish. That obviously helped. And other guys are getting regular games taking the, the premiership, which seems to have done no harm. I thought um, Darcy Graham, the white wing fullback, was a good best in Scotland best player. Um, and he was, he was unlucky to run on the losing side. <laughs> Okay guys, we've listened to your feedback and after all the messages asking why we're so miserable we thought what better way to end the show than with a regular feature where we have a bit of a moan. It's maybe not the week for moaning but that's not going to stop us. Um, I've gone for Ronan O'Gara. Um, did anybody see his comments on RTE? Oh yes, yes. Which yes. is pretty special. I mean you'll, you'll hear that at the start of the blog which was uh, I hope we hammer Scotland too mouthy. Um, and then after the game saying there were too many communication issues between players who aren't used to playing with each other at this level. Now, I had thought that was a fairly settled, settled island. Um, he, he also went on to, to confuse the Pro 12 with the top 14. But I thought that was pretty poor stuff from him. Do you think he was drunk? He looked drunk, but then it's hard to tell looking at Ronan O'Gara. Maybe he's still suffering a head knock from that Lions game. Maybe he thinks he's still playing that game. Maybe he does. Maybe he's making the right decision this time. <laughs> I wonder if he had uh, Scotland in his accumulator. Possibly, possibly that might account for it. Uh, but Brody, what's what's or who has had its hands in your ruck this week? Um, I've I've got a nice one actually. I'm not going to moan about this. There was a lovely moment on Saturday when Forty was down and. Um, Dr. James Robson came on, as we have to call him. In fact, let's just call him Sir James Robson because he's amazing. Anyway, he came on, and if you had the wee ear thing in so you could hear what the ref was saying, I don't know if this got picked up on telly, but um, <laughs> Dr. James Robson was basically saying to, to Roman Poit, oh, he's got neck spasms, he's getting really old. And the pair of them were just laughing while Fordy <laughs> was getting this really sore massage into his neck it was just a really nice moment it really kind of summed up the kind of spirit of rugby even in that pressure cooker environment it was yeah it was a nice moment well i was speaking to my dad this weekend who'd been at a concussion training event with dr james or sir sorry sir dr james robson dr who, sir james dr. Yeah. Sir James, who'd, who'd apparently gone on during one international match to an injured scottish player who's suspected being concussed and said 
how are you feeling? And the, and the player replied, well, I'm all right, Denise. <laughs> so he just <laughs> hiked him off. And Park strikes again, eh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dan Park's though, is it concussion? Hmm. <laughs> we'll, we'll never know, we'll never know. Um, but, but That, that lamppost will never know. <laughs> But but having hands in the rut can be uh, can be quite pleasant, I, I suppose. So we'll allow you we'll allow you that non moan Brody. Um, John, anything for you? Oh yeah. So what stood out for me, um, probably since actually our new tackle directives have come in. Um, obviously, there's a lot of a lot of stuff going on regarding the going high on on the man and um, sort of avoiding the neck area. But what was evident this weekend was that referees continue to ignore any sort of action in the mall, whereby players get grabbed around the neck or the throat or they're swinging arms with people entering the mall. So again, it's just inconsistency from referees. The mall continues to be just a. a crazy crazy area that i'm probably speaking like a back and saying you know i don't get it but um they're going to need to place the, this head height stuff in the mall as much as they are the tackle zone or they're going to run a cropper again Rodeo, you're, you're probably more in the thick of it um with these sorts of things than, than the rest of us is that is that fair do you think yeah i do i mean it's a really difficult one because everyone cheats um, by the, the the letter of the law, and you know, there's there's a kind of element to it as well, which says that it's, it's really difficult for referees. And John, I, I agree with you completely, but the inconsistency comes from the fact that players and 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 referees don't seem to get the, the thing that there's not one guy doing something wrong and one guy doing something right. There can be three or four players doing three or four different things wrong, um, and it's whoever gets pinged. And that's the bit that's really frustrating because it's, you know, you, you hit you hit one and, you know, I'm off my feet or the next guy's not supporting his own weight or whatever it is, you know, some guy's coming in from the side and someone gets pinged for it and then it's different to the next one. But it's never this guy's wrong, that guy's right, or that side's right, that side's wrong. There's always a sort of massive mix of cheating going on. And, and Gav, have you had time to think of anything that's bothered you this week? I think I'm always bothered by referees. So probably, and I agree with what John said, you know, there's an over-reliance on TMO. Um, I think there's a couple of instances in the Scotland game, there was one in the Wales game, where we ended up spending time looking at the TMO and stuff, but I just, for me it's all up a waste of time, unless there's something glaring in the obvious. Yeah, I'd agree with you there, Gav. I thought, I mean, looking on the telly, and again, it's hard to tell in full speed, but uh, for me, the, when they went to the TMO for the Rob Carney being in touch, and I thought he was that was fairly clear and didn't necessarily need the TMO's intervention. Are we losing the human element of judgment from referees? Did that make the game more interesting, or or, or do you think it made the game worse somehow? I, I just I understand why they do it because it's contentious and it's high pressure and all the rest of it and stuff. But I mean, me and Gav are in the West Stand. Um, Ireland's oh, must have been their first try, was it the one that Seymour tried to um, intercept? Yeah. So Seymour gets hands to it, it flies across, the guy comes in, he scores. Why did that need to go to the TMO? I mean, John, do you think that's something that needs to change? Does not need to be a change in the rules where the TMOs are used less? Uh, not necessarily less, but again, it's it's the inconsistency of use. 
Um, you know, another thing you could argue that really frustrates me is when referees see an incident on the big screen and then go to the TMO at that point, and it's like you didn't you didn't see the incident in real time. You didn't you didn't catch it. Your assistants missed it as well. So, what you know, I'm all for them pinging you know dangerous play and things things that are obviously high profile incidents but it just seems there's such a such an inconsistency as to when it's used and uh, so much of it now lies in the lap of the tv um, coverage which are often national you know done by the national uh, team so again if you're away you may not get the rub of the green as, as it would be just on that john i think for me it's not Probably about how it's or how it's used. It's you know when like I watched a either a pro twelve or premiership game a couple of weeks ago, and um, JP Doyle used the TMO while the game played on, and I thought, oh, we had a breakthrough. Somebody, a referee, finally, that's not managed at all. has thought, great, we'll use the TMO, let the game, the game continue, and if there's anything. The TMO spots in, and then we'll go back. I hate this that 30 players and thousands of people in the stadium to sit and watch big screens for two or three minutes at times for things that are obvious. And then another, I won't go on and on and on, another bugbear is when a ref's made a decision, let him make it. If he thinks a decision is a, a yellow card, I can't be doing with all this when a TMO says, oh, would you have a look at it again? No, made a decision. Let's move on. Let's play the game. On on that note, I think JP Doyle actually done that today as well, Gav. Which um, again, it was very impressive. But he was getting it, getting it large from Parisi, um, who was demanding that he goes to the the TMO to to check a decision. And he, he points out to him, "I've already done it. I've I've done it while we were in play. It was it was great to see. And it really, other referees should be taking note of that." So that was this week's Scottish Rugby Blog podcast. Thanks again for listening, guys. You can find us on Twitter at Scott Rugby Blog. Also visit the website www.scottishrugbyblog.co.uk. Leave your comments and we'll maybe pick them up for comment of the week. We'll be back again after the France game to just go over, see what's happened and look again at who might be in contentions for the line this summer. We're going to keep talking about that until you're all absolutely sick of it. And don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes or Acast or SoundCloud or any of the various places that you can find us. Thanks again for listening. See you next week. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Gav, say bye. Is he gone? He's gone. He's gone. All right. <laughs> he's done. He's done. He's done. All right, we're done. All right, good. <laughs> Cheers, right, guys. Bye. It's so Cheers, mate. Just sat us down this week and he told us we're going to win it because we're uh, bloody minded and uh, we've done that today. Uh, I'll just listen to Vern, whatever he says uh, goes. So.